it was a it was a great experience in so many ways. I learned so much um, while I was at school there, and um, I kind of devoted myself to the theater program. I also I also was involved in the speech department, but they decided not to have a speech team that competed in speech tournaments and that kind of thing. Instead, we wrote speeches that were then put into a catalog and then sent out to area rotary clubs and church groups and all kinds of places. Huh. And people could hire you to come out and give a speech at their event. And uh, I had a speech scholarship, and so I had to, like, maintain that. I was put, I was set off, like, every other weekend I was going away to give a speech somewhere. Which Did was you get paid really- at least? No, it was, I, it was a condition of the scholarship. It was like part of the deal. They would get this speaker to come. Oh man! So like I, I was like speaking at Exeter High School one day. Right. The women's, <laughs> the Nebraska Center for Women in my hometown is where the women's prison is. I had a really wild experience going back there and speaking because uh, my mom had worked at that prison when I was like eleven, after she divorced my dad, and um. And so she worked all these shifts that, since she was a new employee, she had to work all the holidays. But you could take your kids to work on the holidays. So I spent Easter and Mother's Day and all these holidays at the prison. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Nebraska is a very, like, you know, homogenous. It's very white. You know what I mean? Especially in the, it's, it's changed. NAFTA changed things a little bit. But when I grew up in Nebraska, there was, like, all white people everywhere. There's no minorities but at the prison, you know, it's different. And so that's really where I first heard, like, Al Green and Curtis Mayfield music. Uh-huh. Really? Okay. So we would have little turntables outside, and they were playing, like, Let's Stay Together. The first time I heard Let's Stay Together was at the prison. And I'm like, what is that song? Wow. Because Nebraska radio is so white. It was just, like, Rush, Ario, Speedwagon, just certain white rock bands were the only thing that were played. And um, no R&B. When I first went to Kansas City, I freaked out at the radio. I was like, what? What is this? You know, <laughs> not the way radio is in Nebraska. But but I had to go back to that prison my senior year in high school, in college, my senior year in college. So it's like 1985, going into this prison to give a speech. And my speech is, how to feel good about being yourself, is the speech. I'm giving this in a prison. And... Um, I go to this room and it's empty. There's no one in there. And this guard, she's very stiff. She's like, "Well, all the women are in the they're, they're in the other room practicing. They're they're they have a choir and they're going to go out on tour to raise money to build a church. And right now they're practicing their music. Maybe I could go in there and talk them into coming in here and hearing your speech." And she leaves the room and I'm like, "Oh, this is great. She's going to talk them into Coming to hear me give a speech? <laughs> How I feel good about me yourself? Where am I at? You know? <laughs> and then the door slowly open. And these so funny. It's like 15 women march into the room. There are 14 black women and one white woman. And they sit down and they go, We heard this was funny. Make it funny. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I mean, I'm like, oh my God. So I like rewrote my speech in my mind really quick. And I had recently gotten arrested by the police. So I threw that story in, you know, to try to <laughs> know your audience. Yeah. So the little bit of street cred, you know, I got to give myself something. I gave my little, <laughs> my little stupid speech about how to feel good about being yourself to these women in prison. And, uh, and this woman looks at me and she's like, or Mannix's son. My mom, they called her Mannix because it was the name of a detective show in the 70s and it sounded like <laughs> <laughs> and, and she's like, this woman recognized me from when I used to come with my mom. Wow. On, on bring your kids to work day or whatever. What? She, had rec- she recognized me and it freaked me out and and she's like, wait a second here. You just performed for us for a half an hour. We now have to perform for you. We need to give the gift back. And then Stiff Guard was like, Mr. Manny, you do not have to stay here for this. And I'm like, no, I want to be here. And the women all got up and formed like a half circle around me. And for 30 minutes, they sang all their gospel songs that they've been practicing that night. Oh, and wow. That's what's up. This woman had like these thumbnails that were like three inches tall, and she directed them with her thumbs, you know. And they were great. They were singing in like harmony, and I was crying. I was like, I I can't believe I'm in a prison getting the gift of these women singing to this. Serenaded. It was one of those crazy experiences I would not have had had not the Doan Speakers Bureau existed. That's incredible. Mark, what what would you think? Can I try and find a point where we kind of stop talking about Dylan and you start telling this story and, and make that we could include that in as the start of the show? Would that be okay? Yeah, right. You want me to tell the story over? No, no, no. <laughs> you gonna edit it? Okay, you're gonna edit it, right? I'll edit it. I can send it okay. to you ahead of time. So oh, that's fine. So- you can put anything. You can put that story in. I'd love it if you did. Awesome. At some point, Mark, uh, I really am interested in the uh, the birthday stripper uh, singing telegram. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, that is interesting. Oh. No. Let me, I mean, let me give no. you a second. This is the long play listening party. I'm Howie Howard. <laughs> Nate Holt, Royce Diamond. Our guest is Mark Manning. You probably know him from KKFI. Um, you also might know him from acting and gardening around Kansas City. But uh, yeah, Mark, Mark, you want to tell that story? <laughs> okay, so I, I, when I first moved to Kansas City, right off the bat, I auditioned for a play at the Unicorn Theater, and I got cast in a play. And I immediately met all of the staff there, and the production stage manager was like, hey, why don't you hang around and help me with the next play? And I ended up working on 18 shows there. I did every job. I learned how to do so many jobs, and I stage managed a non-equity musical premiere of a world premiere of a show that was done by people from Second City in Chicago with people in wheelchairs and blind and deaf actors. I'll tell you some stories about that sometime that are hilarious. But, uh, working, at the, <laughs> but working at the Unicorn... Um, course it's not going to pay my bills so like a lot of people i had to get other jobs it seems like theater people would have like five part-time jobs and add them all together mm-hmm. one of mine was doing singing telegrams for a place called mabel h singing telegrams and they had a whole bunch of different 
characters that people could order, and you had to show up and do it in costume and then do your thing and get out, get your money and get out. And um, my favorite one to do was the Kissing Bandit. You got to wear this mustache and this cape, sing this Elvis-inspired song, It's Now or Never, My Lips Can't Wait, and you're, you're trying to kiss the woman. And then put these lips on her head or on her neck and then leave, you know. I remember going to, I had to go to a KCK beauty parlor Dana, I don't know where it was, I can't remember where it was, but this woman had, this white woman had this afro that was so big, I couldn't get the ribbon around her head. <laughs> it wouldn't work. But, uh, but one of the characters was um, a, a, a nerd strip. You had to go in and do a nerd strip. And uh, you basically were a nerdy character that stripped down to basically underwear, you know. And but had to do it with like tripping and getting your your pants cut and falling over and trying to get your legs out of your pants and that whole thing. But they actually had strippers too that worked for Maybelline. And during Christmas time, they had these Santa strippers that would go out and strip, and they had male and female. And the male Santa stripper, I didn't have to do much with him. Usually, they send a female with him. They would send me with the female stripper Santas. But uh, the male stripper Santa, he, he was pretty sexy looking. He had a fake tan and he was muscular and stuff. But, but the minute he opened his mouth, it was like so, I hate to say it, but he sounded so gay. It was like the illusion was ruined. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, don't talk, Santa, don't talk. No. Um, no. I, I, had, I had to go out with the female, the female Santa. Oh, no. So we got called back to this place like about a mile and a half outside of Independence. And it was this like Saturday night thing. And the stripper that I went with, she was one of the main strippers that worked at Maple H. And she had a big spider tattoo on her left shoulder, like a web and a spider. She was very shy. And um, we're driving out in the country. And I can see at the top of the hill, this house it has... I kid you not, about a hundred motorcycles parked around it. Oh, that's, that's where we're going, you know. And I'm like, oh dear, my job, <laughs> my job is to go in and like set it all up, like take in the boombox, make sure it's ready to get played, and find the birthday person and situate them, and then do the same thing. Take in the boombox. And then I had to like do an opening song where I'm like, today is your birthday, blah, 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 blah. And then I had to say, and here's your present, and it unwraps itself, you know? And then she would appear, start stripping. As she would throw her stuff around the room, I would go and get it and collect it. So it was all preserved. So we walk into this place, and it's not very friendly looking at all. It's like really scary. And there's like this coffee table with a giant pile of marijuana and a big pile, just like very green. And um, <laughs> these guys are looking at me like, "Why are you here?" And and I and I I, I was like, um, "Where's Jim?" <laughs> We're here for Jim. It's Jim's birthday. This guy goes, are you queer? And I go, that's not the point now, is it? No. 
she had a <laughs> birthday and I just went plowing into it, you know, and sang the little birthday song. And then here's your present and it erupts itself and she shows up and does her thing. And then the biker guys are like, here, come over here, kid. I'm like rolling joints and handing them to me. And it's like, somehow we, we she did her thing. We got the boombox and took off, got our money and took off. It was, that was a kind of the, kind of the gig. Um, get in there, do it, get the money and leave as fast as you can. Because, you know, there's other, uh, there's other uh, things that we had to do in other places. We would have to, We'd have to then have Other... to change our, yeah, we'd be changing our costume while we're driving from one location to the next, and it was so, uh... it's a very humiliating um, job. But it also teaches you how to like take control of a room, get in there, take control of a room, and then get out. Right. And it helped right. me a lot with my work in middle schools. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, all right, duly noted. Well. <laughs> A- a- any aspiring teachers are, uh, you know, yeah, currently no, going through. when you like, I found out early when you go to a middle school and work, if you walk into the room kind of scared, the kids will smell it on you, and it's just like you're, oh. you know, it's like get, try it, come back tomorrow, you know, it's like, it's not a good way to start. It's no. like a, the, the smell it just like a biker gang, I assume. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> similar in that way. Oh my god, that was really, uh, you know. And what was really bad is if you were accompanying a stripper who was not a good stripper, mm-hmm. that was also bad. I had to go with a friend of mine who's a really great actor, but he thought he could make extra money doing this telegram thing. So we went downtown like on a like it was like on a Tuesday at ten in the morning for some corporate event. And he had to strip, uh, and he stripped to the talking heads burning down the house, which is, and, <laughs> and the people asked for a refund. They, they, oh. uh, he, he, he like apparently stripped down to like regular white, cotton white underwear. Mm. And that was like the reveal. And apparently his underwear wasn't clean, you know, like. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I would have been asking for a refund as well. I think that was very was disappointing. A, you know, and I'm, I didn't know. I mean, I, I respect this person. Uh, as an actor, I, but I, well, I mean, and is there a reason he left his, his tidy whities on? That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's another yeah. question. <laughs> if, they're, if they're already dirty, like, yeah, maybe they, he shouldn't have taken them off. He had no clue what he was doing. He shouldn't have been, <laughs> have been doing it. It's, it's an art form. He's like, it's not good. Not good. <laughs> right, almost, almost like it's two method, right? Like, no, this is a, <laughs> there's a script here that we need to follow. Uh, there's expectations we need to fulfill. Nero and Raging Bull stripping for you. It's the older, fatter version of it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that was that was not a good day. That was hard. Um, but Inter- very interesting. Theater is one of those art forms that is so uh, I realize how um, scary it can be, you know, and how putting yourself out there on on the edge in a way, and and um, it's nice when it works out. Yeah, I mean, I, do, I mean, do you want to like go into that a little bit? Because um, 
you have, I mean, that, that it seems like that is a lot of your background and, um, coming up with, with original, original productions and, and, and I guess writing and, and all that stuff is that. And, and uh, managing it. Right, right. We, we, when we were doing the stuff at Cafe Lulu and then that grew into its own life outside of Cafe Lulu and we were, we, we tried to produce plays in non-conventional spaces. We weren't we weren't really doing them in theaters per se. I had worked a lot in different theaters in Kansas City, but this was like a place to like blow it up and try it out in a whole different way. And also, the whole yeah. idea of performance art is sort of like creating a space. Where everybody's acknowledging that we're in a uh, in that space. You know, that it's being created in that space, and that's not being All right. It's not the illusion, you know, um, but it made for a lot of really crazy stuff. And we, there was a gay bar on Main Street called the Club Cabaret. And the owners of the place, they were Big John and Little John. And they they came to Cafe Lulu. <laughs> and yeah, one guy was big and guy was little. And they came to Cafe Lulu and they saw our show. And like, we want you to do the show at our bar. And I, I told them no, because I couldn't do two shows a week. But as we developed our our stuff, people would try out material that would end up accumulating. They tried a scene and then they tried another scene. And before they knew it, they had a whole play or they had a whole concept. And we just kind of took the cream of that work at Cafe Lulu and made that into an even more curated show that related to each other. Plus we found these, all these diverse LGBTQIA voices that were wanting mm-hmm. to tell uh, issues of, you know, dealing with the issues of the day and political things. And so we were doing shows at the Club Cabaret, um, which was this big gay bar that had this huge dance floor that we made into a stage. And then they had another stage and a huge video monitor. So we would do, we would do multimedia productions. And the bar let us use okay. it all for free. We didn't pay. We would be bringing in wow. an audience. That's great. Yeah. Most of the gay bars, the the crowd would come at eleven o'clock at night, but we were bringing in an audience like at eight o'clock at night, so they could sell drinks to like another hundred and fifty people that they wouldn't normally have mm-hmm. there. It was a real non traditional audience. It was it was a very mixed like sometimes more women than men, and then all ages. And unfortunately, in the gay bar, we couldn't have the under twenty one crowd that we had at Cafe Lulu because we had a huge group of high school kids that would come to our shows that couldn't get in at the bar, which was really unfortunate. But, um, but we created whole shows and uh, Ron McGee, who went on to create late night theater is one of the original founders of big bang buffet with myself and a friend of mine, Janice Woolery. And we were doing, mm-hmm. we created a show called the standard friend Fundy show, which was a, this whole story of this Christian fundamentalist uh, Vegas style lounge act. Um, and it was a musical, and it was very hilarious and very satire-rich. Ron was doing all kinds of crazy uh, ideas with characters, and he was just starting out. And um, and we would do the censorship stuff with Anne also during Culture Under Fire. And one year during Culture Under Fire, we did a show called Birmingham's Book Burning Barbecue, because there was a local street preacher <laughs> named John Birmingham, he was burning books down at 
right outside the uh, school board offices. He would set up a big fire and just throw books in there and burn them. And he was a very confrontational guy, really get-in-your-face kind of guy. And uh, he was burning, currently burning this book called Annie on My Mind, which was this lesbian love story that was high school book for girls. A great book, actually. But anyway, so we wrote a whole sh- so we created a show called Birmingham's Book Burning Barbecue. On the poster was him barbecuing books on a grill. And um, just for the fun of it, I put him in the program as our very first performer in the show. Just for the hell of it, I did that, you know, on a whim. But then the night of the show at the Club Cabaret, he came and protested our show with members. <laughs> 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 and he brought members of his church along. So outside the gay bar are all these church folk with signs up, you know. And so I'm like, wait a second, this is perfect. He's on the program to be our first performer. Let's go ask him to be our first performer. I mean, it's a censorship show. I mean, the whole idea of free speech is that everybody gets free speech, right? So. Right. He went out there and I said, would you like to come in and have 10 minutes on stage? And he was like, oh, my God. You know, he was like this opportunity to go inside the cave of sin to save souls. <laughs> so he was more than ready to come in. And we set it up with the audience, too, that they had to give him 10 minutes, that they had to be respectful and give this performer 10 minutes like anybody else in the show. But he came in and did his 10-minute thing. And then he only spoke for like five minutes. And I, I go, you have five more minutes. And he's like, well, I go, what if we do Q&A? And he's like, okay. So he took a cordless mic in the audience and people asked him questions. It was a, it was a farce because we had all these lesbians <laughs> in the audience. <laughs> and they were like, are you wearing polyester socks? And he's like, well, I might be. And he's like, that's against the Bible. You can't have blended fabric in your... <laughs> what did you have shellfish for dinner last night that's against the bible you know it was like this crazy moment oh my goodness it was also like this incredible experience of that is incredible yes your art imitating life you know where you're like you're making fun of somebody and then they actually show up and they're in the show and they don't even really get it you know he never really totally got the whole idea of what we were doing but we did allow him to have 10 minutes of his own self in the show. So it made it really authentic. Like, people thought we planned it all out. And uh, it totally, <laughs> totally just happened that way. Mm. But, uh, wow. There, there are a lot of things like that, that that we experienced with a lot of those shows um, during those years, too. And, and uh, um, I, it was so much fun. It was so much fun to do. Uh, a lot of work also, but um experience. Yeah, you must be a very, very organized uh person because you've got an extensive resume of things that you've right. done and they right. all seem like really massive undertakings. Yes. How do you balance all that? Well, and that's a that's an interesting question, Royce, too, because I know and I don't know, I mean you don't have to get into it, Mark, if you don't want it, because I know it's a big uh it's a big uh, life change for you, but I know that you're stepping away from that, um, the gardening that you had been so involved with for so long, but it's, it's because it's, you explained it. It's, it's part of how you have to take care of yourself. 
right now, right now. Yeah, I'm having a real, to be honest with you, I'm having a real struggle with this whole decision. I, I'm standing by my decision that hurts really bad because it's so much of my Yeah, I, I would imagine. Like it's literally, yeah. we get caught up in things and they become our identity. And, yeah. and they're not really our identity. They're just one of the things that we do. But, but all of us are trying to figure out, you know, what's my purpose? Why am I here? You know, what am I, you know, and I never planned on doing this garden project. I, I was actually working at the Midland Theater and I organized a Big Bang Buffet show and we did it as a benefit for this organization in KCK. The woman that ran that organization ended up becoming my boss and I, I made a connection with her. She invited me to come work with her. I gave up everything in my life and just changed it all, totally, completely changed my whole life started working in kck schools doing a garden program you know 20 23 years later i'm like whoa you know um in the last couple years covid was really difficult we've lost a lot of our funding i'm just tired of trying to find the funding for it and it's also not my strength to do it to to do the funding part and um, yeah yeah I'm just like, I'm just like, I want to leave everything in a really good place and the schools are going to have to figure out how to take care of their own gardens. And um, I've taught teachers over the years how to do these workshops, so they should be able to do them themselves. But regardless, I'm going to move on from it um, and uh, maybe get 23 years. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, and, and weren't you doing a fundraiser? Uh, and were you needing, um, you know, volunteers still for a project that you have coming up? At one of our elementary schools, it's called Emmy Pearson Elementary in KCK. It's on 11th yes. Street. Yes. And they, that was our first garden we ever built 22 years ago. And we're still using that same garden. Most of the other schools, we've rebuilt the gardens over the years, but that school has never gotten to be rebuilt for one reason or another, it's also in a very bad shady location. There's the big, huge trees all around the garden. There's a much better location that we now have access to use. So um, it's crazy how these things work. And I, I don't know why it's the way it is, but the only way to really get funding to build a garden was for me to personally do a GoFundMe. And um, so I did a GoFundMe and we raised $7,900 in five days on on the GoFundMe, and we're able to. So, so, so this week I bought all of the lumber and the soil and lumber yeah. fabric. I bought all those pieces, and then on May 9th, tenth, and eleventh, we have over thirty volunteers scheduled for May 9th and and May tenth, also on the eleventh. And we're going to build this brand new garden for the school, um, and then plant it on Thursday, the twelfth. Um, okay. I, I, that's a good way to like leave a program when you've like tried to make it as good as you possibly can. Because we've built new gardens now at five of our schools, and uh, we'll be able to. We're going to plant all these gardens, and I'm going to get them up and running, and then I'm going to be bringing in volunteers to water them over the summer, and I'll gradually pull myself away from it, um, and then find out what I do next with my life. Cause I really don't know what I'm going to do next. It's like, I have to shut one door before I can open the next one. That's kind of how my life works. Um, right. But yeah. But I'm having real 
just to be honest with you and having like, lots of emotion about this whole thing because it's hard it really is hard yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a big that was a big decision i i, I mean it sounded like it was a, it, it it definitely weighs on you and but i think um you know anybody who's who's who, who can um empathize with it understands i mean you can't you you can you, you know you 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 you're kind of like a battery i mean if you're all the way down to um yeah you know to to, to low you know, you have to recharge, and 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 if you can't recharge, you can't be a whole lot of help to other people. So, right. Um, I ultimately like. What kind of an example am I setting? Because kids will say, you know, like I will tell kids, we're not. I'm not like I haven't. I haven't gotten paid for the last two years, and I'm still doing this job. Mm-hmm. And what kind of a message am I sending with that? And I'm not saying that. I'm always trying to tell kids that you don't have to get paid for everything you do. Certain things we do in our community because we want to build our community and we don't want to get paid for those. We're, we're going, to, going to get paid for those because our neighborhood's going to be better by the work we're doing in our community. Um, and that's invaluable, you know. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to have that resentfulness or whatever. Mm. Um, and I'm like a one-man band. This whole program I've had to kind of do by myself. And it's, it's very physical and... Um, crazy because we created all these workshops where we actually cook food and create food in the classroom of the school and i was doing about 400 workshops a year and working with 1500 students and so like i would do a salsa salsa workshop where we do it six times a day like you do a workshop you have to clean everything up in like three minutes and reset it and do it again then reset it and do it again and basically work wow. from eight in the morning till three in the afternoon you've worked with like 150 uh six graders <laughs> and uh, <laughs> put up hundreds of tomatoes like because we would make salsa as a group of students and teachers together and that was just one of the things we would like harvest all of our sweet potatoes and we make sweet potato french fries in the classroom while we talked about the history of the sweet potato or Usually there was always some kind of food element. I feel like all of my theater background and restaurant background are kind of came together with the with the KCK Organic Teaching Gardens. And then, you know, like my grandmother uh, always wanted me to be a teacher. So somehow I think my grandma was like really happy that I did this for 23 years. But I like, like helped teach kids about science and gardening and yeah, whole culture whole culture behind gardening yeah you know when you teach about gardening you end up teaching about everything you know you learn about the garden and george washington carver was a huge theme and all of the work that we taught the way that he grew food and and all of the legacy that he's left behind i i took advantage of that and brought all that into our workshops um uh because I was like this strange white guy coming into their school, you know, <laughs> who is that weird gay L guy, whatever, you know, it's like, you know, and in the beginning, I kind of like got hung up over that and I ended up mm-hmm. losing that quickly and like going to the objective of the fact that, that I'm just another example of a different kind of human being to these 
kids, and if I show them respect, they'll show me respect. And ultimately, it ended up being this really positive experience that I, I will never forget. And like walking into a elementary school and having you know, 50 kids go, Mr. Manning! And they'll scream. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a good feeling to have. And mm-hmm. for somebody that's not going to have kids, it was like my way of taking care of the biological urges that I have inside my own human body. We all have to care for the next yeah. generation of, of students. And like I was emceeing a show down at uh, Lemonade Park for the Crossroads Music Fest, and I was mm. introducing Danny Cox to perform on stage. Then he had his grandson singing with him, and then his grandson's mother was there, and then other members of his family were there. And then these kids are like going, wait a second, you're Mr. Manning from Quindaro Elementary. And it turns out that I ended up teaching almost all of Danny Cox's grandchildren. <laughs> wow. You know, and and having this connection with them that I would never have had, especially yeah. in segregated Kansas City, you know, and the way that our, oh, yeah. our town is chopped up. And, and then being in KCK was also a huge, incredible experience for me because I love KCK. I think it's like this really honest place, you know, and... And uh, working there, it just taught me so much. Uh, I learned so much. Um, like, I'm proud to say that, you know, Janelle Monet is from Quindaro Elementary. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. High School and uh, came up through that and so many others, too. And it, for me, KCK used to be like this. People used to crack jokes about it, you know, like the, the brunt of the joke. I was scared to go there at first, but then after working there and being a part of the community, I, I love that place. I love the people of KCK. I love the school system and, and all of the students, and it's an incredibly diverse community. Um, it's the democratic stronghold of the state of Kansas. KCK. <laughs> With Lawrence, too, I'm sure. Yes. But yeah, oh. I'm stepping away from that. So if you guys... Is have any? If you need any, if you have any jobs, or if you know of any jobs somewhere, tell me. About it. <laughs> <laughs> have to, I'll have to figure something out down the road. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'll definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's got to be something around. There's, there's. It seems like there's a lot of, of, just kind of activity, um, in terms of, music and 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 the arts, in Kansas City and and. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about it earlier. I mean, you don't, unless you're just out and about and and can, you know, like Patrick, you know, um, it's it's hard to stay on top of everything that's going on. But there, there, I would have, I would be surprised if there's not some sort of opportunity that that would be a great fit for someone like you who can step in and and really probably hit the ground like running. Uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens because the idea that I would be doing this job it never in my wildest dreams would I think that I would be working doing the job that I have done for the last twenty three years. I it's crazy um, that it actually happened that way. But but uh, and people would like people would say, "Are you a master gardener?" And I'm like, "No, I'm a theater major." And they kind of look at me funny <laughs> and laugh at that. <laughs> but like as Howie and I were talking about, I think. 
you do theater, there's like the whole idea of the show must go on. That's really part of the theme of the all work of theater people. It's like, we're going to get this done. And then the collaborative nature of being a theater person, you have to collaborate with other people, have to problem solve, have to make a miracle happen out of very little money. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that magic happen, you know, and, and, uh, and you all know about it because you do creative work. So you know what that's like. It really is magic, isn't it? What you can, um, the stories you can tell with a, a prop and a, a costume and a light and, you know. Definitely. Definitely. It can, I think, I think it, as long as, like the thing about, uh, the thing that Ann Winter always told me about the radio is just be yourself. Don't make up a fake voice or a fake character to do your radio show. Be yourself. And in community radio, I think, is like that. People want the authentic. When it, they want to believe you. They want honesty, no. you know. And then all I, of these... I think so. Yeah, definitely. And And then the music that's being presented and people want it to be real. They want it to be, you know, it's not a joke. We're serious about this here. This this music thing that's happening in Kansas City and Lawrence, people are serious about it. And regardless of the genre, an artist is interpreting a story and telling you, you have to believe it. They ha- they're, they're an actor you know, telling that some of my most incredible hip-hop performances where I've seen, like it's like, it's like an actor doing a monologue or or delivering poetry. Um, one of my dear friends is Nisha Gamby. Her son is Jamal Gamby, who is Joe Good of Sounds Good with yeah. Miles Bonney. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they were like a little bit before my radio show. I played all their music on the radio show because I love them. And, and seeing Jamal performing... I would like cry because he was like he was so into the telling the truth of the story the truth of the lyrics and was so good at it and amazing and I, I would just be feeling that and crying because he was he was believing everything he was saying it was totally real there's nothing fake about anything that's happening in that performance and I think that goes across the board with genre and performance and artists who are their story you know to the audience i want to believe it yeah i mean speaking of like getting into music i i know that uh we had a mental death squad uh track yeah right brandon phillips and 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 and, yeah and that uh you know some what he was talking about um going through with that album um I cannot remember who he was working with that kind of helped him kind of work through some of the songs and, and, and uh, really kind of fleshed out the album. And so I, I'm, I'm in awe of Brandon Phillips. I, I don't know how much you know about him, but he, he and his brothers had a band called the architects and they, yes, uh-huh. Were signed to a national label, and I mean, he was uh-huh. like dragging his little brothers into bars that are all underage way back in the day, you know. And 
and they their music started evolving and becoming more more pop sounding and so he just created a whole new band called brandon phillips and the condition which is sort of like his Mm -hmm. band to he can like tend to be elvis costello in a way you know what i mean and and yeah 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 uh yeah that makes a lot that makes a lot of sense yeah and be be more pop but then they also have another band called other americans where yeah there's a female lead singer and he's more backing them up and Mensa Death Squad is kind of almost his most personal music. It's electronic, yeah. you know? It's like electronic dance music. Um, well, I liked what a lot of the stuff that he was doing, especially during COVID, where he I, 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 he was producing something. I, th- I, I, I want, I, I'm guessing it was in his basement, but it was, you know, him. It was, you know, very, to me, it was pretty nice, good production. Lights and you know, kind of music video quality, uh, which was really cool. I thought he's kind of a musical genius, he really is. Uh, he's written so many great songs and he's real humble about it, almost like off the cuff, you know, about it in a way. Um, he, he was one of the hardest people for me to interview on the radio because I was really in awe of him and and uh. <laughs> Kind of nervous about him too, because he's like real, mm-hmm. uh, real honest. And uh, but he's had huge health issues. Um, I think it's Crohn's is one of the things that he struggles with mm-hmm. that have caused huge, like issues with his, you know, just feeling horrible. And and he's had to overcome these. And his music has been a way for him kind of deal with this uh, deal with these health issues because he's the kind of performer that like when you used to see him in the Architects days, it's like leaving it all on stage, you know, like this rock and roller out there sweating it all out, leaving it all on stage, this hard rock sound, you know and he still brings that energy to all of the music that he does Um, and uh, he's a, a really smart intelligent guy he his whole family's really cool his dad was a lawyer um and uh, i don't know much about his mom but but i just following his musical career has been fascinating for me and the mensa death squad the album just came out i think but he put out these singles leading up to it yeah which is been pretty common uh we're gonna play the chin up uh, eyes wide open I know he does a lot of work with Element Studios and Joel Nanos. Yes. It's one of his partners in crime. Yes. You guys will have to have Joel Nanos on your show sometime. I would love to. He's got lots of stories. Lots of stories. Yeah, I I would love to talk to Joel. uh, I haven't. I don't know that I've met him and like personally met him, but yeah, a lot of people I know have worked with him, and I I would love to see his studio at some point. They're building a new studio right now. Um, he he's like a musician's producer in a lot of ways because he used to have a band and. Yeah, I feel like I feel like half of what I play on the radio he produced. <laughs> but yeah, him and Brandon are 
we work together a lot. I feel like uh, as we talk, Mark, I mean, I, 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 just listening to you, I have to Google and search and, and take notes and, and everything just to keep up with everybody and everything that you're just, uh, again, like Nate was saying, when, when you're on the show, like you just know so much about the community and it just, it really feels good, man, to have somebody who um, cares like that. And I'm sure that that's the same way that that garden program has been and I hope that um, you know we all really appreciate you thank you thank you yeah absolutely I um, you know I, I was very excited that you were you know willing to come and, and to talk to us on the show and um, I really hear it like Finding some of the stuff out about you that I wasn't aware of, you know, some of the like the yeah. Telegram stuff and things that that you are involved in. It's, it's, I mean, it's great. I, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, it's, it's a pleasure knowing you and being able to it, to it have really these is. conversations with you. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's that's it's really cool that. Uh, like I really felt like the creative community didn't make the most out of COVID-19 and um, the number of podcasts that popped up during the time, which is another way to try to connect people. And it helps. It really does help to have these abilities to make these connections. Um, Cause we do need to, we need to all know about each other and, and like, yeah. I remember when I went to one of the first Mixmaster programs that uh, Silly Goose Records and Lawrence and um, I can't remember from Carswell and Hope, the uh, musician. Um, uh, that were, you don't have not Nick, about? right? Yeah, Nick, Nick Carswell. Carswell? Yeah, okay. He like, he like created the Mixmaster thing. And I went to the, one of the very first Mixmasters and Lawrence and I met Thalia Fani. And I was like, mm-hmm. who's this force of nature? And, um, <laughs> and I, she's, she's so awesome. I be, I've be, been able to become friends with her and gain her respect uh-huh. and, and have her on the show as much as I can because she mm-hmm. has so much passion. And um, it's people like her that encourage me a lot to keep wanting to do, to do more. And uh, she's, a, she's like an honest straight arrow kind of person you know with her her mission um with what she does but well if, 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 i think if we had been if we had been a little more uh uh on point i think we we've had howie has had the idea of having you know guest hosts and i think fally would have been a 
a great guest host on this episode. So uh, we'll we'll note we'll note that for next time because I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm sure we'd love to have you back. And so if we do, um, hopefully we'll be fortunate enough that that Fally can join us, and I'm sure that we'll have some some really cool conversations. But yeah, um, uh, yeah. she she's very cool. She's she's so very. Uh, involved she, and, and everything that she does for, you know, to kind of get people, you know, she takes pictures, writes articles, like she's all over the place. She is. Um, I remember seeing her, which is, like she's, she's like six foot something. And uh, I remember when she was pregnant with her second child, uh, she was still out there photography, you know, shooting shows. <laughs> I'm like uh-huh. nine months pregnant, and I'm like, "Who is this woman?" I mean, <laughs> she she she's just striking, and uh, I love running into her. It's always a delight. Uh, she's always brutally honest with me about everything, and I really appreciate that. She's one of those people that can like explain to you, like, "Why is this the way this is?" She can tell you, you know, "Oh, it's because of this," you know. She knows the story. She's also turned mm-hmm. into really good artists that I would not know have known of. Um, and she has a lot of great stories to tell, too, um, about things in Lawrence. So, um, And I think she, she kind of represents that there used to be a Lawrence-Kansas City rivalry, and I think there might still, like, I think, I think in, with Thalia, I think there still might be that. She still has that kind of, you know, maybe... Like she's gonna stick up for Lawrence against Kansas City. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like we do it different in Lawrence, you know. She likes those kinds of stories, you know. And, and uh, I think, like when I told her what the budget of Kansas City's Gay Pride was compared to the budget of Lawrence, she like fell off her chair. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but like I I totally respect her so much, and uh, um, and I don't know if that rivalry exists the way it did at one time. I really see more of a coming together and, and uh, like a collaboration amongst our communities. Like we're together. Uh, I try to be, I try to treat it that way in the radio show. I try to. Well, we had a, we had a show just on Saturday, the bottleneck. It was the black light animals and uh, uh, Dylan Guthrie's band, uh, low pressure system and Corey Phillips. And, and so that was kind of a, a, a mixture of KC and Lawrence, and it was a really, really cool bill. Um, and I think we're going to try to do it again. And, and I, I hope that we get to do it in Kansas City and, and maybe, you know, a co- another time in Lawrence, another time in Kansas City, because it was really fun to play, you know, with with all those groups, um, enjoy the music and 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 have that. And know know that it, it's kind of like a, a, a you know it's a Lawrence and Kansas City thing, yeah. And it's drawing people from both places. That's a good lineup. Those bands together, I think. Uh, the Blacklight Animals, I love them, and mm-hmm. they, and as a band, they've ended up becoming the backup band for like jazz when she performed. Yes, yes. Yeah, and you good. had a jazz you had a jazz song on, on the playlist, did you not? I did have a jazz song in the playlist, yeah, um, and she did give permission to play it too. Um, the sorry, I'm looking at my notes here. The hymn, which is a new single that she just put out, 
in February. Um, okay. She put out an album uh, called At the Close of a Decade that she made basically on her iPhone. And it's this incredible album. It's so soulful and beautiful. Um, but when she plays live, Black Light Animals are kind of like her backup band, and it works. Yeah, I think well. that she, I think that she did a, a song at the show. Uh, they had her, yeah, they had her up there on Saturday. They're kind of like her dub tones, or, <laughs> you know what I mean? They kind of like that, yeah. kind of do that for her. Which, they also play which is, yeah. a couple other female vocalists too, which is super cool. I like that. I, I like those, that a lot. Those guys are really have good spirit about them. They really do. The black light animals. Um, and uh, they're interested in creating a certain kind of sound. Mm-hmm. And jazz is really amazing. Her music is kind of timeless in a way, I think. He's everything yeah, I'd be very curious if these were like samples or if she has, a, I mean, if there's the band playing. I mean, obviously, if she has a, a live band backing her. Yeah, her, this single is not off her album that she made. Um, I think might be working more with, I know there's a keyboardist you regularly work with. Um, I don't know how she put it all together. My ears always perk up when, when people mention keyboards. I'm like, all right, he's working with her. All right, what, what, what's up? What's going on over there? <laughs> yeah, I, I, had to, I, I had the chance to MC the Apocalypse Meow benefit for Midwest Music Foundation last oh, awesome. November. Yeah. They were one, she was one of the bands that performed. We did it at the record bar. We didn't have a live audience. It was all being... Um, live streams? Yeah, live stream. Um, yeah. But she was great. She was fabulous. This is really chill. Yeah, her, her, um, her, her album at the close of a decade is um, really good. It's one of our favorite. On the radio show, we do this uh, end of the year thing where we do um, it's the 120 best recordings of. 2020 or 2021 Uh and it's a four-week special and it's like making that list where you put one artist ahead of another and it's that's the awkward thing about doing all of that finally just trying to create a good radio show with a good opening song every week and a good closing song and fixing the ratio of national into the local and and also, I have a formula that I do where I try to make every playlist 50% female and 50% male. At least uh, 40 okay. to 50% people of color. I try to impose that formula onto my playlist. 
Just because yeah. the only way to change it is to change it. And <laughs> the, yeah. music, the music industry has been so male-dominated throughout the years, historically. And then radio has been segregated in so many ways. And so trying to force myself into that has been a challenge. But um ends up... It ends up causing like for difficult decisions in that best of list at the end of the year, where some artists have like a really great album, but um, <laughs> you know there's so many, so many white guys making music in comparison to <laughs> African American females or black females. So it's it's just mm-hmm. kind of, and also realizing that I'm working at a community radio station not a commercial radio station. So we even have a greater responsibility to represent the community, represent artists that might not be played on other stations, you know, and try to help. Because that's that's our mission at KKFI, is to provide a voice for voices that are underrepresented in other media. That's really part of our whole mission. And, and uh, so... Local music, Kansas City Lawrence music, is underrepresented in our media in a huge way. In a huge way. Because when you think of all the radio stations that are on the dial, how many of those radio stations are playing local artists? Yeah. Sad. That's really sad to find out that it's that few. Now, and even on KKFI, you have... I I think there's a couple, like, you know specific programs you know like 60 minute programs but yeah uh, it's 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 not a lot we have enough music to fill days and days and days. Uh, more way more than that yeah and it's yeah. it's and it's not and it's not it's not just because it's local it's good music too and um and so it's like like on kkfi we have 85 locally produced weekly radio shows which is crazy wow no other I didn't realize that's a lot. That's, that's like a hundred. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, these there's, these are volunteers that are passionate about their thing, and then yeah. amongst those, there's a lot of music shows. But then in those music shows, many of them are playing local artists, you know, or, or, or you know, and and it's like more of them need to be. And and on KKFI we have like three or four. It needs to be more, and and like the bridge does a pretty good job of mixing local in, but they could do more too. I remember when the bridge first on the air, they had a, when they first relaunched under KCPT, they had a slogan that said, we play more local music than anyone. And I was offended by that because it's like, uh, community radio, what about us? You know, right. <laughs> you know, people just forget about community radio because we don't have a huge marketing budget We're we are truly a radio station that is run by the people, you know, we are truly run by the people in the neighborhood and, uh, and have been doing it for 34 years. And it took about 10 years for these people to even get the station up on the, on the air, you know, 10 years. Well, and that's another thing. That's another thing I want to draw attention to hopefully, uh, with this, with this, uh, show is, is I, there's, there's a fundraiser to purchase the tower, Right? Is that there, what it is? Is it pr- actually purchasing the tower because you have an easement on the land, and once you own the tower, you won't have to pay the rent? We own the tower. 
We we right. own our tower. We just don't own. Oh, yeah. the easement. We don't own the easement to get to the tower. Yes, you, that's that's so, okay. Right. But this land, there was like a, a people that owned this land forever, and they finally got to a stage in their lives where they got older and they wanted to sell the land. So somebody bought the land, and but they're a friend of Community Radio too, so they are going to sell a sliver of this land that is the easement to KKFI. And that value was about $350,000. So we created a campaign, and they've raised $325,000. So the goal is almost met for... for Yes. ...to uh, buy this land so that we can actually get to our tower. We have a trailer at the tower, and we have a, a, a second transmitter. So if our first transmitter goes down, we have a backup transmitter... There's like an air conditioner that works into this. There's like a facility there that we can actually get to now. Mm-hmm. We won't have to pay the rent on that land anymore. Mm-hmm. We'll save right. like twenty five thousand dollars a year for our annual budget. Um, but we're just like this little community radio station that has managed to keep alive over the last ten years or so. Has managed to save up money in the bank. So we have our annual budget, but we also have a little bit of that. that this radio station has saved about a half a million dollars in its little bank account mm-hmm. over the last 10 years, which I give it. Uh, that's a hard thing to do um, because it costs a lot of money. Right. To run a radio station. But we have a, we have a small staff and uh, all these volunteers and then we have a board of directors with like a working board and uh active member volunteer system where people have to volunteer so many hours to be a part of that. If you have a radio show, you have to also volunteer for the station. Like a kind of like a community grocery store. If you help stock yeah. shelves, you can get a discount on your groceries kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, but it really is for the love of the community. It's really it's really mission based. If if all of us at the station the mission first it usually works out better in the long run um because right. the whole business of radio is kind of crazy you know and uh it's been a really interesting experience though there, there's so many stories about kkfi also that we could share sometime with you <laughs> yeah that sounds like another pod maybe yeah, yeah. it's like a whole there's like a whole well, and, and and I recently did a show where it was like our birthday of KKFI, so I brought in different people to tell different parts of the story, and it's controversial because some people don't want to have some of the stories be told, you know, because they're not <laughs> out of that, <laughs> but they're part of the struggle of what it takes to keep an independent, community, progressive voice alive on the airwaves. You know, because there isn't a lot of that on the airwaves, actually. Yeah. Fortunately. And the airwaves belong to the people. They're our airwaves. Public airwaves, our, yeah. Our government yeah. are the ones that divide it all up and license this off to these multi billionaires and whatnot. And who try to sell stuff to, you know, we're not selling things on KKFI. It's a, right. it's a non profit corporation. So. It's always weird when we give out guest instructions and people are like, how can I talk about my album? I can't give a price. And I'm like, give everything you want, but just don't tell the price. You know what I mean? Right, we're not, right. 
you know, tell people where they can find this, you know, what's going to be in the show. We're so brainwashed by commercial commercialism that we don't even know how to communicate without being commercial, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's crazy that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I feel, I, I sometimes I feel like you're like, I get my album seven bucks. Like, I feel like, I feel guilty for saying it's seven bucks. Like, when did Bandcamp set that recommendation that there's no inflation in there I mean everything else has gone up but Bandcamp's still saying seven dollars yeah <laughs> your music is worth something you yeah, know? yeah don't, don't feel guilty about that or, yeah but 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 you, you get where I'm coming from, though. I do. Right? I do. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's so weird because people, there's so much of a perception also. And when we used to do Big Bang shows, uh, when we started charging $5 to get in the door, our audience became more diverse. It's really weird. The audience became so much better. They're a much better audience. It's like mm. people wanted to be invested in something. Mm-hmm. It's like a way of of being invested in when something's free, like in theater, like the worst audiences ever was when somebody bought the whole house and gave it as a gift. So 250 people had comp tickets. That's always the worst audience you can ever have. (laughs) They're not going to clap as hard or appreciate it as much. Um, Yeah. There's just something to be said for, for people paying for what they're getting, you know, and even though that's a tricky business, you know, you can make it fair for everybody and there can be ways to work around people that can't afford it, you know, but, but, uh, and plus our artists, we ask so much from artists, artists just are not compensated for what they do in comparison to other that we throw our money at, you know, and it's just a sin, you know, it's just horrible that it's that way because music actually saves people's lives and music actually makes people healthy and feel connected. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, it's medicinal. It really is. And, and, uh, it's part of it's our tribe. Therapeutic. It's very it therapeutic. It's, it goes to the very essence of our beginning of people, you know, and mm-hmm. and uh, musicians should be all taken care of. That's why, like, the Midwest Music Foundation, as a nonprofit organization, I'm saying support them wholeheartedly always because they're doing, you know, the work of angels to help provide safeguards to musicians who may not have health care yeah. or just need help paying the rent that month, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever it might be. And I, I'm so proud of our community for things like the Midwest Music Foundation. Um, and like Abigail Henderson, who started that organization, is someone who taught me how to do a radio show. I mean, she was one of those people that was coming on the radio show and telling me, we like to think of this as our radio show. And I'm like, oh, you do? Oh, okay, you do. That's, I like realized that that was like really great thing um and i took on her mission also i I became i started following her to try to do my radio show more like she would want me to do it you know and learning from the music community and being in the theater community i had gotten used to the way that community operates and when i got involved in the music community i didn't expect 
I didn't expect to be part of the music community. I started doing this radio show, and little by little, the music community brought me in. And they're the ones that said, you're part of us, you know? And I hadn't felt that way in the theater community. I felt so much more accepted for my being myself, my true authentic self. I felt more accepted as a gay man in the music community I did in the theater community. Strangely <laughs> enough, that's very interesting. Yeah, like Amy Farron. I don't know if you know Amy Farron, but she's a veteran yeah. of the music scene and a really good friend of mine. And she'll tell you the same thing. As as a lesbian woman, she's always felt more accepted in the music community than in the gay community. Huh. Uh, and the music community has all been about. It doesn't matter if you're gay. You know what I mean? If you're gay, lesbian, right. bisexual, transgender non-binary, whatever, that's not ever really what matters. It's what do you sound like, you know? Yeah. What's your music? You know? Really? Really? I mean, yeah, I mean, in a, in a larger sense, too, that I, I don't think that even matters, you know, as a person. Like, who are you as a person? Right. You know, I, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, how, yeah, okay, so you're a music, you're musician, what do you sound like? Do I like your music or not? But, like, you know, even if I don't, like, are you cool? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's all. I, that's that's. I think. I mean, to me, it boils down to like: is this person cool? Right. If they're not, then you know, like that's cool. You, we don't have to hang out, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, it's like I, I don't have to listen to your music because I don't. I don't necessarily like it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, Howie, do you want to play some more music? Um, I'm really sorry that the Ghost Walk song wasn't didn't work out because I yeah I could not and I could not find that uh, in any other bots. Like I searched for it and the list that came up that was not a part of it. Um. um that Diedrich Moore, I don't know if you know Diedrich, but Monta at Odds is his band that he's yeah. with his brother. And watching that band like uh, evolve over the years has been fascinating to me. And they they just keep getting better, I think. And they made this album with your friend doing all the vocals. And then when it came time to do the album live, I think we talked about this, Nate. When it came time to do the album yeah. live, a friend was uh, in New York and couldn't do it or away. Mikkel mm-hmm. Shapiro came in, yeah. learned all the songs, and she became part of the band. And it's just a great addition. Uh, and then recently, uh, Ken Jankowski of the Republic Tigers Mm-hmm. He's on the same music label as Montedad's, uh Republic Tigers, yeah. and Montedad's are on the record machine. And he did a remix of one of their tracks. And then through that experience, he became a member of Montedad's. <laughs> and Christoph Nemeth of um, Emmeline Twist, he now is playing guitar with Montedad's. And there's this collaborative spirit with these guys in this band like kids right, I'm gonna and- make a little note then. Uh, let me see about the remix. Or, uh, oh man, my notes remix. are ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really good. It's really good. And um, um, and then um, so Ken Jankowski, the Republic Tigers were big ten years ago. 
I mean, they were on David Letterman. Yeah, I remember them. Yeah. And uh, but their label sat on this record for like seven years, and it never, never got released. And so Nathan Rusho, the record machine, was able to somehow get this and re and release it through the record machine. And it's a great album. It's like the bridge has played almost every song on the radio as a single. And uh, Ken doesn't have a band anymore. So when the Republic Tigers play out, he's always scrambling to find people to be in his band. Well, now it's Montad Odds that become the Republic Tigers. I mean, everybody in that configuration becomes the Republic Tigers for Ken singing lead. (laughs) And then when they're Montad Odds, he's part of Montad Odds. And, and, uh, Static Anthems is Christoph Nemeth and Diedrich Moore together, just the two of them collaborating. Okay. And both of them have this sort of 80s pop, new wave kind of thing in their backgrounds, you know, that they both love. And so they kind of bring that into this project that they're doing that um, is now Static Anthems. So I'm, yeah, they they only have a couple songs out, and uh, I'm not sure how many places they're at, but I think Diedrich sent me one of them, and I think I found one on Bandcamp the other way. But um, but you'll you'll have to have you'll have to have him on the show sometime, <laughs> just because there's so many, uh, just the whole development of that band and the collaborative nature of like so many people have been in that band over the years um, with those guys, and they're all such nice folk um good people if you have something nate maybe we can go out on it yeah i i had uh i had the the faith maddox track sweet that'd be great um we had her on the show and we were really uh, excited for that record to come out and I really like it. Uh, this is Bloody Maple. Yeah, I really like it too. But her trio is sounds really good. Have you I, seen her it, live? I haven't seen her live. I've seen Set videos of it. He's going to be doing a live show somewhere in the next three weeks I believe yeah the drummer that she was talking about you can hear like kind of the math rock influence Joel Martin works with her in recording, right? I think so. Yeah, he does a lot of. He he's a lot in a lot of places. Her voice sounds hard to tell that she's twenty-one years old, right? Her voice, for sure. Yeah. I th- I think that's what we, yeah, we discussed that too. Uh, her um, guitar work too, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Tell the reflections, my. 
I think it was like the very first song we even listened to. I was like, I can't believe this. Because it was a song that she uh, recorded when she was like 17 or 18. It's like, I, like this is unbelievable. Right. Like, it's so hard to believe this is, you know, you're 17 or 18 recording this. You sound, you know, like yeah. fully grown, like just the expression in her voice and everything. Yeah, I think she's just so. Uh, she has such a strong sense of her own artistic voice, her own uniqueness. Yeah. And she's so brave about just leaning into that. You know, and I think, man, I was 21 and, and much later, and even still, you know, that. It scares me maybe a little bit to. to get that deep into my own thing, whatever that is. But she just goes right to the center of it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, shall we, shall we leave it there for now? I think we're good. I think that's a good spot. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, there's so much, you know, we could get into, but... Um, Mark, like I just, I yeah, I I can't thank you enough for for coming and talk. I this is such a, such a fun um, conversation with you. Absolutely. Pleasure. Thanks for asking. Just please know that you guys are all welcome to the radio show anytime. And I just thank tell you. Every, I tell people just don't be shy about asking to come on the show because I'll I'll try I'll try to make room for you and. We have, I think we have about 150 to 200 guests on every year on the show. And I think that's, wow. that's what makes our show more special is we're able to have these artists on the radio talking about their work and, and being able to show the other larger community what we have. But thank you very much. I appreciate being with you all tonight. It's been a pleasure. And, and uh, making yeah, absolutely. I have a fellow Doan graduate here on the <laughs> we've got an end now yeah <laughs> Howie's the one person I haven't been able to interview on the radio so I don't know as much about you as the other people on this panel oh uh, well I'll tell uh, you what Mark since you extended the invitation uh, maybe so I've got a solo album I'm working on yay uh, so maybe uh, maybe I'll share a little bit of that with you, and we'll see if we can figure something out. Kind of fall, winter, it's a ways off, but... Sure, yeah. Well, and Howie's gonna, Howie runs his own record label, too. He's got... Yeah. Uh, Mr. Fear, Mr. Fear is records, like... Like, he... Uh, man, it's... How it's, many albums, Howie? Uh, I'd have to... six High 60s, something like that. Wow. I've been wanting to do a radio show where I have like three or four labeled people, independent labeled people from Kansas City, just having a roundtable conversation and like every 10 minutes playing a track, you know, that's representative of that label. But that would be fun to do also. um, um, If you'd ever want to do that. That'd be amazing. yeah, hit up this is, Sean. This is your hit, show. We're hit, trying to wrap up your show. Yeah, yeah, hit up Approach for that too, Mark. Hit up Approach. I'm sure he would love yeah, to do yeah. that. Yeah, have, yeah, have Sean on. Yeah, I've never ever had Sean on the show. So he's really? another person that I... Yeah, it's... Wow. Never, okay. It's, it's never... 
and I've played him on the show. He's also someone that Fally has like told me so mm-hmm. many stories about. Um, yeah, and, and helped me learn more about. Um, and then my friend Nisha, of course, also has mm-hmm. taught me a yeah. lot. Um, but yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to do that. Definitely. Awesome. Thanks again, Mark. It's been a long play listening party. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Mark. Thank you all. Yeah, we appreciate it Thank so much. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Keep doing all the good work you guys are doing. 